Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Nizar Hassan. I'm joined here as usual by Benjamin Red. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great. Uh, and we've got a special guest today as well. Really special guest, yes. We are super excited to, uh, to welcome uh, Temur Ashari, uh, my colleague at the Daily Star. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I am a fan of the podcast. I listen to it every week. Um, tell Woo. you a little bit about myself. Uh, I, uh, I report on uh, local local news, basically, for the Daily Star newspaper. I cover uh, environment, urbanism, but specifically focus on like energy sector and recently local politics. So parliament legislation. And that's our topic for today. Uh, a little bit later, we're going to be diving into parliament and uh, really getting into the weeds. Uh, it's it's going to be a very exciting podcast, I think. Uh, but first, like, I'm, I'm very happy to see you, Nizar, because you're alive. Yeah, yeah. It was close. I mean, <laughs> we're laughing about it, but Nizar had sort of a harrowing experience uh, about a week ago. No, it was just tragic. Let's call it that way. I mean, we were just like a bunch of 20 friends having like a barbecue and uh, singing and playing in a campsite uh, near Alay. And uh, two armed men just attacked us um, because they, one of them wanted to kill my friend's dog. And he shot my friend instead. Not by mistake, like after he was, uh, you know, angry at my friend for protecting his dog. So my friend jumped on his dog on the ground and he hugged her. And that guy was just like, yeah, I'm going to shoot him. So he shot his thigh and uh, my friend just went out of the surgery. Um, now we're taking yeah, like legal Like your friend's going to be okay though. Yeah, he'll survive. But like he, he's staying in bed for two months and then we're not sure how uh, things will uh, will evolve because it's a matter of like uh, bones that were completely destroyed in his right thigh. But like we're taking legal action and hopefully things will... Um, like I hope they get arrest them and, because they're not detained yet and they're still at large. So, Which is nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. political connections help you do a lot of things. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that at some point we can dive into the politics of this in a future uh, episode. But for now, though, I'm just happy that like you're safe and sound <laughs> and your you. friend, you know, is OK. Uh, also, we we have sort of like, uh, I guess, some happy news. Uh, Nikki Haley resigned. Woo! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's not a friend of the podcast, uh, to put it mildly. She's horrible. Uh, yeah, and it's sort of weird, though, to see everybody sort of fawning over her uh, when, like, from our point of view, it's like, oh, no, she's an extremist. It's probably a good thing if she is gone. But, yeah, no, she, she seems to be setting herself up nicely for uh, a future as president of the United States. Uh, the so. worry, of course, even though it's not strictly Lebanese politics, is who will replace her, right? I mean, that's what everyone is really waiting to see i heard kid rock's name uh he did go into the white house yeah yeah (laughs) so did kanye we have to wait and see oh i hope it's kanye the un gold oh man i don't know if i can handle that bringing it back to lebanon though we also had student elections uh here we we had a couple things we uh last week sorry the week before we had elections at uh lau the lebanese american university this week we had elections at aub the american university of beirut um which i like to refer to as the harvard of west beirut uh um and and these the these elections are sort of seen as sort of like a microcosm of larger politics in the country and that's why they're important uh and so everybody pays really close attention to the student elections especially lau aub and usg or sorry usj which is like the french university the sarbonne of east beirut uh (laughs) Which And they're having their elections later this month on the 27th of October. 
So it, at the LAU elections, a coalition of the Future Movement, the LF, and the PSP won. But at AUB, uh, it was kind of flipped. And the, the PSP joined Amal and Hezbollah at AUB, which I find interesting. Uh, yeah, the won. PSP at AUB joins whichever coalition, depending on the the year and how many votes they can secure, etc. It's it's very flexible with them. Which like sort of goes to show how swingy they are as a party as well. You know, like yeah, it mirrors outside politics. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, and and we we also had even though the elections at USG don't happen until the twenty seventh of October. There were clashes on campus like this week because somebody in the FPM put up like a poster of uh, it was it was Bashir Jmail. Uh, so like the well, the LF had a had a picture of Bashir Jmail, a poster of Bashir Jmail, which was oh, right. edited yeah. by an FPM, apparently by someone in the FPM affiliated party to have a picture of Habib Shartouni, right? Who killed who, who, who killed Bashir Jmail, <laughs> which is like a pretty. Yeah, that, that's that's a pretty big deal. Uh, so yeah, there was like some pushing and shoving and everything. And this is actually sort of a normal occurrence, though. So, all right, uh, it, it, people get really worked up over these elections. That that's the main takeaway here. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of like LF FPM problems, uh, there were there was an issue in Ferzal uh, in the Bekaa Valley this past week. Uh, there was sort of like this two a.m. middle of the night thing where the LF tried to erect this monument to like their fallen martyrs. And the, the one of the MPs, uh, FPM MP Michelle Daher, said, no, you're not doing that. I don't want that near my property. And apparently there was this verbal argument in the middle of the night and everything. The army came and arrested, you know, like six people or whatever, re- immediately released a bunch of them. But the, the head of the LF in Ferzol was detained for like 24 hours or something. And, and so like there's this dispute over supposedly land, you know, like whose land can you erect something like this on? And now they've all sort of like agreed to make nice and figure out a solution that everybody is happy with. But I, I don't know. It doesn't sound like any solution was ever actually reached. And, it, and things were sort of like got weirdly out of hand for a moment. Like there were rumors that like a bunch of armed LF men were headed there, you know, at one point. There were reports of shots fired as well. Many people took it as a sign of the FPM LF you know, general bickering and struggle over cabinet and, and even before that over the presidency. And, and this is just the latest manifestation of that. Yeah, and it made even more emotional, like emotionally high pitched by the fact that these are like you're honoring your martyrs and everything, at, at least uh, for one side of the equation here, which, you know, it isn't great for calming tensions. But luckily, things didn't get out of hand, but things still haven't been resolved as well. We, we had a couple of things happen uh, related to the military tribunal. If you guys remember, uh, a few months ago, we reported on somebody being indicted for this gigantic hacking operation. And we, we thought we were going to see more of this. This was Al-Akbar broke this story back in July. And basically what it is is uh, Khalil Sahnawi, who is related to the politicians, the Sahnawi politicians who are both like FPM and LF adjacent, right? Hmm. He, he was arrested. Basically, he was accused of doing this gigantic hap- hacking operation that targeted like security agencies, banks, like major institutions in Lebanon that you're not supposed to hack. 
And this week, things came out where he was actually indicted by the military tribunal or at the military tribunal. And the the prosecutor there recommended that he get somewhere between five and 15 years in of hard labor in prison for this operation. It's, it's very interesting that this was targeting security agencies. And Al-Akhbar also reported that they got a lot of information, including access to General Security Chief Abbas Ibrahim's emails. Which, which is nuts. Which, which is crazy, yeah. which is incredible. And I mean, it's embarrassing for the security services, right? Because what, what you have is like a breach of state security, the internal security forces and general security, apparently, all three of them in this hacking operation. And if you can get the head of general security's emails, I mean, that does not speak well. And this is also very politically sensitive because just because it's connected to the Satnawi family as well. Also, speaking of the military tribunal, we had a very weird thing happen this week where a case was actually moved from the military tribunal to the civilian courts, which doesn't really happen. It it, it was this case of uh, an attempted assassination on a Palestinian security official in Sidon in 2017. And basically they they said, oh, this isn't our jurisdiction, uh, so it should be tried in civilian court. Well, you would think that's just like a good thing, right? But of course, there's politics behind this as well. The future movement was unhappy. Mustafa ran a front page uh, story condemning the move. And the idea, according to one source uh, who spoke to the Daily Star, is that the military tribunal deals with terrorism cases. The accused in this case were members of a group that is linked to Hezbollah. And so this move essentially is a way to shield Hezbollah from terrorism charges. Which, I mean, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but that's the allegation on on like sort of the, the pro-future side of things. Uh, and so like they would say, oh, no, we should keep this at the military tribunal. I don't know. I, mm. I personally kind of like the idea of a precedent being set where the military tribunal gives up some cases to the civilian uh, courts. That's probably something that should happen. So I'd, I'd, I'd like, I don't know what to think about this, though. Well, it, it seems really to me only a stone's throw away from the idea of like politically connected people getting out of jail on charges that, you know, they actually should remain in there for, right? People will often advocate for lesser charges for all kinds of things like drug use. People will advocate for things to be tried in civilian courts. People advocate for the abrogation of the military court in general. And it seems that the people who end up having those privileges, which, you know, activists will say should be afforded to everyone are often the people who are politically connected. And this this seems like it could be another case like that. Yeah. So we had this weird thing happen this week. Anahar published a blank newspaper, which was this stupid publicity stunt, basically. Nayla Twaini, the editor-in-chief, came out and said, like, oh, it's because of the political and economic and environmental situation of the country. It's a protest and everything. But it just like it it rang hollow to me. I, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I think it, it seems sort of lazy on the one hand and just sort of weird. Like, OK, you could run a blank front page, but why an entire newspaper that's blank? That's really weird. When I saw that, I thought it was a worker's strike at Anahar. So I was excited. I was like, oh, yeah, journalists are taking a stance because they haven't been paid for months or whatever, because we always hear this news from Anahar about journalists not being paid for uh, many There's months. a lawsuit against them right now, right, from former employees. Oh, that's to get great. their to get their back. Pay. That's yeah. what I thought. I thought it was a strike, and then I was like, no, because the editors wouldn't allow it. And then I was like, maybe the editors are on strike as well. And then I read a rumor that it's about Khashoggi. Uh, you know, they're imitating Washington Post, uh, publishing a, wi- a blank column for Khashoggi, who was uh, assassinated by uh, allegedly, 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 by, allegedly. By, by the Saudis and Turkey. And then when we realize it's just that, it's just a stupid publicist stunt. I completely agree. It's it's ridiculous. 
And it partially rang hollow because Nyla Twainy was an MP for nine years. I mean, a, a, yeah. a thrice extended MP. Um, 2009 who, until until this year. Yeah, yeah. until this year. And um, I, I think maybe we might be getting to it later. But, uh, you know, when, when we speak of the records of some MPs, hers is, is, not, is not great. It's one of the worst. It's one of the worst. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She was roundly criticized for not really doing a whole lot as an MP. And so now she's coming out and complaining about politicians not doing things. Come on. Come on. It's, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. This was a, an obvious publicity stunt. Also, my favorite topic, cabinet formation. We passed this past week, uh, the, the Makati uh, 139 days. It's now been 144 days since Haru was designated. So like we're, we're sort of entering this time where it's like, okay, we're, we're sort of at the end of this, you know, post Doha agreement of like, oh, four or five months is okay to form a, a, an okay time frame to form a government. And so like, at least in my opinion, we've got a couple more weeks and then we're just going to see a cratering of uh, confidence in Hari's and Aoun's abilities to actually solve the nation's problems. And that could have a lot of other effects. And I think I've gone into that enough already in previous podcasts. This week, I do want to say, you know, it very much appears that France is pushing for a formation, for cabinet formation. Aoun met uh, Macron Friday in Armenia. Also the uh, sort of like France's diplomat that's in charge of the CEDRA, the Paris Four Conference, Pierre Duquin. He is in Beirut. He met with uh, Nabi Berri. He met with Saad Hariri. And, and there's talk of an Aoun Hariri meeting in the next few days on this issue. Berri right now is off in Geneva, but he has publicly said he's willing to cut this trip short if there are any developments in cabinet formation. Also this week, we had a list sort of being passed around just in the past couple of days, which I found really interesting, like sort of a potential, like full names of cabinet, uh, uh, potential names for cabinet. And it's, it's semi-believable, right? Uh, so you've, you've got, uh, it's a 30-member cabinet, 30 names. It's, it's somewhat believable because the Druze question is sort of solved in a believable way. Like there's a swap between Aoun and Jimblat. And there's, uh, there's only 10 FPM members instead of 11, which would be a blocking third. That's also very believable. And, and there's also just a lot of believable names. Uh, a lot of the people listed here are names that we've heard around town mentioned as potential ministers in the next government. But it's also not really believable for a few other reasons, right? And one of those reasons is 10 of the names are Maronites, which is an insane number of Maronites in a cabinet. Usually in a 30-member cabinet, you have six Maronites, four Orthodox, three Catholic, two Armenians. That's been the breakdown the last at least three 30-member cabinets. Those numbers, and we all know in Lebanon, you have to follow the sectarian, the sectarian rules on this. And so unless there's been some major agreement in the Christian community of how to break down a, a, a change massively in favor of the Maronites in the cabinet, I, I just don't believe this list at all. Also, there's a, a question just of a Sunni representation. Saad Hariri is nominating five on this list, five Sunnis and one Christian. And then Michelle Aoun is nominating one other, the, like the sixth Sunni. But it, it seems weird to me. There, the, the sixth Sunni uh, is uh, Fadi Asali, who is the head of Cedrus Invest Bank, uh, which is sort of considered Aoun's bank in town. Mm-hmm. And I would have thought the sixth Sunni probably should be somebody more in a Makati camp or Karami camp or something like that. Uh, so that makes me question it as well. And, and then also just the, the portfolio distribution, uh, the portfolio is given to the LF seems a bit weak to me. They, they have four members in cabinet, 
but they get like education and the deputy premiership, culture, environment, and women's affairs. I, I don't know. That just rings to me a little bit weak. I, I, th- I think the LF wants the justice ministry. Whether they get that is another thing. But if they don't get the justice ministry, then they'll want like something stronger than this, I think. I, I, I don't know. I could be wrong on that, but it just seems a bit weak to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not sovereign ministries and it's also not uh, services ministries. You know, uh, if you have the uh, culture, environment or women affairs ministries, what kind of services can you offer? Um, this is one of the main mechanisms of like clientelism that exists in Lebanese politics. So it doesn't make sense that LF only gets these four ministries. Yeah, exactly. So this week we want to talk about parliament and, and especially because we have a new parliament, right? We, we started out sort of as an elections podcast and sort of morphed into like a larger thing. But really, this podcast began with this new parliament, with the elections for this new parliament. And so let's check in on what they have been doing and, and what's going on and, and maybe get into some of the problems with parliament as an institution and the problems with MPs. Uh, so like, first off, though, we have to say, what they have done up until this point. So on May 6th, they were elected. They took office, like the official parliament became parliament on the May 22nd. And the first thing they did was they elected officers and committee members, and then they started committee work. But then they, they actually did have a legislative session as well, which, uh, Temur, you went to, right? Yeah. So the legislative session, it was it was parliament's first legislative session, the first session of, of these new MPs. Basically, the you know the committees when they when they began their work the idea was that we need to pass a bunch of laws so that when we have this this le- legislative session we have a bunch of laws that we can endorse you know together and and you know just kind of streamline streamline the whole process right which so, makes sense yeah. yeah so committees basically the, the decision was taken for joint committees to meet every Thursday and the joint committees basically bring together all, like all the committees or, or all the relevant committees um, under the chairmanship of the deputy speaker or the speaker. And so, so they had these sessions, they, you know, they passed a bunch of laws, and then they, they had the legislative session uh, at, at the end of last month. And you had a raft of laws that were passed. Uh, you had a solid waste management law, very you know, critical in Lebanon. We, we had the 2015 garbage crisis and continue to deal with hundreds of, you know, of, of, la- of landfills just spread out across the country. Trash burning is rampant. So this law, basically, the idea is that it's a framework that allows municipalities to decentralize their waste management. So they can basically, you know, do sorting at the source, recycling. Controversially, it could also, uh, you know, MPs have argued that it could allow them to do incineration, which is a very, you know, controversial practice in Lebanon. Activists are, are very against it. They say that, you know, Lebanon doesn't have the oversight to to handle such a, a process which produces hazardous materials, including very fine ash. Yeah, it's a very hot button issue because like, Beirut municipality has announced it's our intention to do this, right? And activists are like, fuck no, we don't want that. And and with this law, I mean, so Paula Yakubian, the, the Sabah MP, has argued that basically every municipality could make a small incinerator in their backyard. And, you know, and, and that wouldn't look much better than the, you know, the burning of landfills that we have currently. We, we'll go more into the solid waste management law later because it's a it, it's passing and the manner in which it's passed was a really just a you know, it showed the dysfunction of parliament in so many different ways. We also had a law passed on e-transactions and personal data. Uh, We had a judicial mediation law passed, which basically allows uh, court-supervised mediation to happen outside of the judiciary, basically. So, So the idea is to, like, ease the backlog of cases allow you know uh, you know court appointed mediators to just get the two sides together try to find a solution and then once they've come to a solution a judge will just like rule on it 
and be like, okay, like we, we agree to this solution. And part of the idea there as well is to make Lebanon a more business-friendly place, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, we also had a law passed on the protection of whistleblowers, also known as the, uh, those who report corruption. So we also had a law passed on transparency in oil and gas sector con uh, contracts, which, which received praise. And the, the energy minister actually said that now uh, we are ahead of Norway with our oil and gas sector you know, legislation. This this prompted a lot of like jokes from Parliament. So we had there was an MP who at the end of the session, Hassan Fadlallah, I believe, who said that uh, look, we really need to add this amendment to this law, otherwise, you know, like lest we remain at the same level as Norway, um, which uh, which you know it, it, it was funny. Um, and, and For those who also, think that yeah. Hezbollah does not have a sense of humor, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, they do. And, and there was also like $400 million in loans for, for infrastructure projects, for, you know, for healthcare, for wastewater, uh, you know, wastewater treatment. And, you know, finally, they, they passed this like basically this like stopgap measure for the housing loan crisis. They, they agreed to basically provide funding um, that would allow housing loans to be reinitiated. So you have a lot of people who like began building houses or like are waiting to get married because they just can't get this housing loan that allowed them to like move out of the house. And it's it is it's a big issue in Lebanon. Right. And then and that happened because BDL, the central bank, basically decided to, to exit that space and leave that for legislators because it's their job, not the central bank's job to provide these kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's what's happened up until now. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons that we're talking about this this week, though, is that on Tuesday a new session of parliament begins. So let, just to back up really quickly and refresh uh, everybody's memories, when there isn't a cabinet, when we have a caretaker cabinet, parliament is considered an extraordinary session. So that means basically means Nabi Berri can call like a meeting of parliament at any time during these uh, sessions, uh, but. That extraordinary session is coming to an end because the fall term is beginning on Tuesday. And and so on Tuesday, we're all we're not we're not only going from extraordinary session into regular session of parliament, but we're also gonna have a meeting of parliament and they're gonna meet and they're basically going to it's gonna be a pro forma session. They're going to elect uh, members of the secretariat again. They're going to reelect members of committees. Nobody expects changes to be made here. They usually aren't, maybe just around the edges. If they're, uh, But anything could happen, right? Uh, there could be a few changes in names. A another interesting thing, though, about the fall session that really needs to be mentioned here is that at the beginning, by the by dint of the Constitution, the Constitution says, in the fall session, the first thing that has to be done before any other business in Parliament is talk about the budget and pass the budget. And so as of Tuesday, Parliament will be constitutionally proscribed from doing any business like legislative business other than talking about the budget. The problem with that is that there is no budget. In order for there to be a budget, there needs to be a cabinet. The budget is has been prepared by the finance ministry. It is sitting at the Council of Ministers right now, and it's just waiting for a cabinet to be formed. And then the cabinet is supposed to take a look at it, make adjustments, pass it, send it on to the parliament. And if parliament doesn't get that, then they can't technically do any other work. But this has been kind of ignored, right? I mean, we, yeah, we, exactly. we, were, we were 12 years without a budget. Right, um, right. And, and so, yeah, Parliament just went ahead, you know, doing their work. I mean, they had I, to, I don't know right. if you would call it work, but they, you know, <laughs> they went ahead doing what they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another sign this, that this won't really be respected is that Birri has said that if a cabinet is not formed by the end of October, 
he will call for another legislative session. Which I don't really understand why legislative sessions depend on a cabinet here anyway. Like, oh, so if a cabinet is formed, you're just not going to call a legislative session? You're like, the legislature's not going to operate? Like, right. I don't quite understand the connection between the two. It's, it's almost as if he's ho holding it as a kind of threat, right? That they would have this legislative session. Uh, yeah. Because the last legislative session ended, you know, the last le legislative session was held for necessary legislation, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it ended when, you know, apparent, like there, there were rumors that it ended abruptly because people thought that the legislation happening wasn't necessary. And there's this talk about it kind of infringing upon like the rights of the prime minister, the prerogatives of the prime minister. Uh, I'm I'm not e exactly familiar with how that works, but it's I think it's something to do with like the basically the power play between having a speaker, a president, and a prime minister, and the prime minister currently being resigned basically or des designated. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of like problems with th this is one of the many problems with the way the parliament functions. the The idea when Aoun was elected and Hariri came back and became prime minister a couple of years back was that, okay, we got very far off track with our constitutional institutions and following the constitutions. Now we're going to start moving back towards constitutionality. And if this happens, you know, where there isn't a government and parliament has to break the constitution, start breaking the constitution again, then we're clearly like going back in the opposite direction. It's not a great look. Yeah. But that's only one of the problems as well with the parliament, right? So going to parliament, you see that basically you have a lot of dysfunction there. And and one of the main, you know, one of the main examples of this dysfunction is the way voting happens in parliament. Um, uh, and and so we have basically, I mean, even in the text, we have these, these kind of two pieces of these two articles that contradict each other. Article 36 of the constitution says that votes shall be cast verbally uh, or by members rising and sitting. Whereas the internal bylaws of, of par parliament say that votes shall be cast by raising your hand and that you shall you shall cast uh, that uh, the voting shall be hand article by article of the laws so you already have this kind of weird like contradiction in the laws there um and this only really this crystallizes even more when you're in parliament i, I mean i'm going to use the solid waste management law as an example it was the first law that the legislative session debated it took three and a bit hours to pass and so like a, a key example of the dysfunction that you have is that in the law itself the law stated that the solid waste management sector will be headed uh, by this commission, and that commission is under the shared responsibility of the Environment Ministry. And Sami Jmail, the MP, pointed out, well, how is this going to be under the shared responsibility of this one ministry? And basically, MPs found out that they had removed the Interior Ministry from the law, but left in the word shared. So you could have had a law that, you know, just basically didn't make sense. And they removed and this, this. This had already been through committees, right? So right. it should have been a nice finalized text, right? Yeah. I mean, I, apparently a subcommittee had removed it. And there was a lot of controversy about that. They also like r removed and added articles to many of the bills. So from this specific law, they removed the article that funds it, which would have, you know, basically levied taxes on, on citizens. And they argued like, no, this has to be in the budget. We can't have this in there. Which that is was like removed. a valid argument as well. It right? is. It is. It is a valid argument. I mean, one of the funny things about the law itself is that the state minister for administrative development, Inaya Zidin, 
pointed something out. She said that the law has a provision stating that there's a penalty of 10 years in prison for someone who pollutes more than 10 kilograms of polluting material, right? The obvious question being, what is that? And so there's this quote from Hezzedine, where I, I spoke to her at Parliament, and she said, what's missing is 10 kilos of what? They shouldn't speak about 10 kilos. The slightest amount of pollution should not be allowed. What is 10 kilos of mercury? A few grams can create a crisis, and we're talking about 10 kilos. Um, so, so you have basically incomplete legislation. Um, yeah, which I, yeah. I think we should point out that Azadine is from Nabiberri's block. She is a card-carrying member of the Amal movement. Uh, you know, but one of the things also that uh, maybe endears her is that she does speak up about these yeah. <laughs> kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. So, look, we, we also had, I mean, various controversies of, of votes being held, whether to refer a law back to committees or not. So on the, on the uh, primary health care plan, uh, a vote was held basically, OK, shall we send this back to committees because we're not sure that it's ready or, or, or should we vote on it? A vote was held on whether to send it back to on whether to send it okay. back to committees and the motion failed. So therefore, it should have been put up for a vote. But Birri decided to remove it based on his own prerogatives. He said that, you know, openly. He was like, I have the right to remove this. And this caused uproar, mm -hmm. you know, from, from Hariri, from the deputy speaker himself, who led this impassioned uh, speech about it needing to be voted on. And even Hezbollah MPs said, if we don't pass this bill, it's as if we did nothing here today. So you had this like weird, uh, you know, this weird thing where lawmakers from different blocks came together and kind of corrected the speaker, you know, in in removing this uh, more than a hundred million dollar loan for primary health care. The, the, the main issue I have with what goes on at Parliament is that sessions are considered public according to the Constitution, unless otherwise, you know, done by petition from MPs or from the government. But general accountability is a nightmare. Uh, especially on voting. So you have some people who raise their hands uh, when a vote is called, but others don't. And it basically seems, or it seemed, that the only way you show your dissent or opposition to a vote is by voicing this. And consequently, I mean, as they go through laws article by article, you get a mixture of different votes, you know, going yes or no. You can have some MPs raising their hands for some articles, some not for others. And, and you end up with this, you know, mix like this mashup of, of votes that is really hard to hold anybody accountable to. And I, I myself asked, uh, you know, a, a high ranking person at Parliament if I could have the votes. And he said it was forbidden according to the bylaws of the Parliament. I read the bylaws and I couldn't find any article that, that said that. <laughs> um, maybe there's something that I missed. But it's, it's crazy that you like don't actually know who voted for what. Right. Yeah. So and, and the, the thing about this is that even MPs didn't know. So there was this controversial law passed, basically Lebanon rat ratifying the International Arms Control Trade Treaty. Um, and Hezbollah opposed this, basically saying that this will hurt the arms of the resistance. Resistance with the capital R for Hezbollah, basically. Yeah. And and so this was one of the rare moments where the voting was held, uh, you know, in my opinion, like according to the bylaws, basically like everybody, it was like, raise your hands if you're with this or not. So everybody raised their hands uh, and Birri said, guys, keep your hands up. You know, we're, we're going to like count this. We want to like, like, Mileshi, let's like do this properly, basically. And so everybody held up their hands. And then this MP asked uh, after the vote was held, can I, can I know the results of the vote? Like how many yeses, how many abstentions, how many opposed? But he just said flat out no. And then it, 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 there was this like shuffle both among MPs and among us journalists, uh, basically because we didn't know if it was passed or not. And then this MP thankfully like shouted out like, 
can we know if it passed or not? And Billy's like, yeah, yeah, it passed, it passed. So and, like Billy is just like this ultimate arbiter. Yeah. Uh, and, and so like we, we assume he must be making decisions that like all of the blocks are okay with. Otherwise they will literally walk out, right? And they we're, do. We're, we're, yeah, we're lacking specifics though. And we, we don't know. Maybe some of his calls... You know, unless they're egregious enough for everybody to be like, no, we need you to, you know, reverse that decision. Is is he making the right call? I don't know. And, and with a parliament that should, you know, represent the people and serve the people. I mean, it just seems like it should be a matter of principle that the votes are recorded. I mean, don't you want to know which way your lawmaker voted? Fair point. Okay, so, so far we've talked about, like, the legislating of parliament. But they also have, like, a big oversight role as well, which isn't really being done, right? That's one of the big complaints about parliament. They're supposed to oversee the work of the government. They don't really do that. It, it, they, they, have, they do have oversight sessions every, every once in a while, but sort of because the parliament, like all of the parties in parliament are also present in the government and everything, it doesn't seem like any real oversight is taking place, right? And that also speaks to, that speaks to a problem in the cabinet probably, but also other problems just in the parliament, right? I mean, of course, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, if the cabinet is a, is a smaller copy or smaller version of the parliament itself, then what, who is monitoring who? Like, who is, what kind of oversight is that? Um, there's no political accountability in whatsoever between these two institutions, which is one of the basics of, like, this form of democratic um, structures. But apart from these problems that uh, you and Taymour have been talking about, um, I think an important thing is to look at the MPs themselves and their performances. And thankfully, we have this big study done by the Lebanese Center for Policy Studies, who I uh, work with from 2009 to 2017. And um, I think the, the results of this study, the major finding to me is that MPs in Lebanon are not really like lawmakers in, 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 this, um, in the right sense of the term, because they're just politicians who are like maybe important enough, popular enough to be in parliament, but they don't really do what lawmakers should be doing. Um, on average, 70% of their time is spent talking to the media, hosting supporters, um, or attending political and social events. That's 70%. And 30% of the time is dedicated to legislation oversight, which is their job. And even this 30% is actually exaggerated. If you look at the, the charts uh, in the LCPS's book, uh, you find that, for example, Future and Hezbollah say that, their MPs say that they spend 23% of their time uh, on average doing legislation. However, these two blocks presented the lowest number of draft laws in parliament compared to any other bloc, except for PSP, because it's very small. Um, so it doesn't make any sense that, sense that they're spending so much time, unless they're like taking so much time to craft these amazing legislations. You know, it takes so long, and then they don't present them because maybe they're not perfect enough. <laughs> it's not a convincing argument, is it? Yeah, I haven't heard any of those rumors. That's... <laughs> yeah, so for these two blocks, for example, each MP suggested less than one draft law on average um, during this whole term, uh, three terms because of the extensions. A nine-year term. In yeah. nine years, we're talking. It's nuts. So the bad performance of MPs is really beyond ridiculous. We have 55 MPs who did not propose a single draft law, which is 43%. Out of 128. So almost half did not present any draft law in Parliament. Uh, 21 MPs did not participate at all in oversight or legislative activity. This means that they might attend sessions, but they don't propose any amendments, they don't do any statements, they don't challenge anything, they just are very passive. 
so they did not, did not participate. And also, of course, they did not draft any laws. This would be an, a, a good point to mention that Nyla Twaini is, is one of the people who has the lowest you know, attendance records and participa- participation records you know, in, in the entire parliament. Right. I think it's somewhere around 29%. Um, yeah, and she, I, don't, I don't think she participated actually in any legislative activity at all. She has one of the lowest scores. Uh, by the way, um, uh, our listeners, you can access the data and the scores for each MP on the website that LCPS has created called Niyaba Tanani. We will put it in the description of this uh, of this episode. And you can also uh, see the results for the performance of the parliament in general, also political parties, etc. It's a very useful platform. But yeah, I was saying, apart from MPs themselves, even the committees, the, the performance of the committees was itself very embarrassing as well. On average, each committee met once every uh, four months, which is like basically being just inactive, um, except for one committee for the justice, what is it called? Administration and Justice Committee. Yes, this one was more active than others, but in general, but committees you, were very inactive. I mean, and to be fair as well, Administration and Justice and Budget and Finance are sort of like the two big committees uh, in Parliament, right, that have, yeah. their, have their fingers in everything. Exactly. But they did not perform well, not only because of because they don't have to really, uh, because of the nature of their position in Lebanese politics, but also because they don't know enough, you know, they, they really don't know shit. Um, <laughs> 80% of uh, the MPs surveyed by LCPS did, know, did not know how much, for example, the government spends on healthcare. They could not estimate at all. 74% did not know what the poverty rate is. And we're talking about estimations. So they gave them ranges, you know, 15 to 25% and they missed it. Uh, 63% could not estimate the unemployment rate. And of the 26 MPs, who thought unemployment was um, over 25%, so it was like they est- they overestimated unemployment, which would be catastrophic in the country. Only six considered it a top priority. So it's it's really ridiculous that they, they not only don't know what the situation is, they, their priorities are also extremely different from people's priorities. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you can consider that like, oh, uh, more than one in four people is unemployed and not have that be like, this is a national emergency that we have to address right now. Exactly. That's that, that's insane. It beggars belief. Yeah. And like w- with the with the high number of people in under the poverty line in Lebanon, only 10% of MPs considered poverty a national concern. Only 6% said that the high prices in the country was an issue of high priority, although this was the number one priority of Lebanese people, according to, uh, to a 2016 survey. So basically, um, we've got like this elite that is just disconnected. Completely disconnected. And, and don't, doesn't even have an idea of what's true or what's important. Exactly. And the result is a bunch of laws that um, do not meet these uh, needs or priorities. You know, only 9% of the laws, according to the LCPS study, are related to people's top priorities. So um, completely disconnected. And um, they, they, of course, they do not meet uh, or do not meet expectations in that sense. But we have to understand all this in the context of a parliament where policy or like positions on public policy questions is completely irrelevant to the politics. I mean, not only do parties uh, mobilize on sectarian fears, sometimes scapegoating refugees or whatever geographical uh, identities, but also when their representatives are elected in their blocks, there's no coherence around, uh, among them around major policy questions. On average, according to LCPS study, MPs of the same block agree on 8 out of 15 major politi- policy questions. So 
there's literally no way in which one political bloc uh, in the parliament can act as a policy actor, you know, as a homogeneous group that will push in one direction, not the other. So it's really difficult as well to lobby or to uh, to do this kind of activism where you target one group because you secured the support of the other. And also it means that policy does not get passed really. And LTPS gives a nice example in this sense because they say that 86% of MPs say that they support universal health care, but no law was passed. Whereas for the rent law, the new rent law, which was very controversial, a lot of people were against it. Among the MPs, there was a huge disagreement around it. It was passed. It's such a chaotic environment for uh, for policy making, it's very unpredictable. Um, and uh, if people, if these MPs are coming together based on other things like loyalty to one political zaim or uh, sectarian affiliation, etc., how can you um, how can you have a normal like democratic political process? It's just impossible. Well, I mean, it serves the interests of those zaims, right? So to have to have a system that it, it it doesn't it doesn't challenge your authority whatsoever, right? Yeah. It's it, it's this parliament that you sort of run along with your other zaims, and and that's it. It's not its own like institution, really. So, what can we expect though from this new parliament, given what we know about the blocks and the MPs and what they do and what they know and what they don't know, and just like the way that things go, the just the chaos and the hadramarsh that happens in one of these sessions? Can we actually expect expect parliament to say? take on a real role in oversight? <laughs> um, well, I mean, look, that that's what that's what this government and this parliament has been built at, right? Reactivating the work of institutions, just getting back on the horse and, and you know, producing legislation that, that solves the myriad crises that this country is facing. So far, I mean, they, they have done some work. Cabinet formation is really blocking a lot of, of what they can do. You know, it cabin, the cabinet, you know, parliament is its own independent institution, but the way the system works is that you need a cabinet to ratify those decisions, uh, to implement, implement those decisions, yeah. to issue the decrees, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, so it, at, at this point, we can really say that government formation is, is you know, is, is the main issue, uh, I would say, blocking, uh, you know, uh, the the reactivation of institutions, as they say, and and I would agree with that. Uh, but I would I would also say that this parliament has been I don't know. There's been more energy, right? Since all of these new MPs came in, it does seem as though like there's a lot of just like young people ready to go and start legislating and everything. And we see this like in the committee work and and stuff like that. There's a lot of enthusiasm there, which is which is great. It's a it's a great thing to see. Right. But that'll happen after you've had a parliament for 10 years where people died and weren't even replaced. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. you, you literally had a, an aged parliament that just I mean, that that was completely unenthusiastic and, and people were unenthusiastic about it. Um, uh, so, so definitely, you know, the newness of it is exciting. Will that carry on? Uh, I mean, that, that, you know, that waits to be seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand the optimism here, but um, we should always, like, remember my opinion that these are a bunch of people who have very narrow interests. I mean, they will do legislation for sure. Maybe they will slow down a bit uh, in a couple of years when uh, the young excited ones uh, lose hope and the old ones just <laughs> do what they do. Um, and maybe not, but what I mean is, 
if they're going to be doing legislation, it doesn't mean that it's legislation in the interests of the people, right? And this is, to me, the, the central issue. Are they going to increase taxes on those who are not paying enough taxes and lowering VAT? They're never going to do that. Are they going to do these economic reforms that are, um, you know, what we need in Lebanon or social reforms that are that are really necessary? Are they going to enact a personal status law for, for everyone? I don't think they're going to do any of this thing. We need a serious political force that is like progressive in parliament to push for this this kind of thing. So I'm happy with, to see like healthy institutions, but I'm more interested in like, you know, the, the outcome of it or, or the interest that it Right, it doesn't serves. just matter that you like do oversight or that you do legislation. What matters is the content of that legislation, right? All right, well, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Taymor. Uh, I've, I've loved the discussion that we have. We'll have to do it again sometime in the future, I think. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you should totally come back. Cool, and uh, we will be back, uh, uh, myself and Nizar, next week. Uh, please tune in then. We, we will find something to talk about that is like just as nerdy, I promise, as this week. And, and we'll be back uh, next Monday. And please subscribe to our SoundCloud channel. Share our content. We need to reach people. We don't have any money, but we're relying on people who like our podcast to share the word. So please do that. I'm Benjamin Red. I'm Nizar Hassan. I'm Taymour Azhari. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. The Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar El-Fil.